0: Here on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll recently started a biographical study on the life and ministry of Jesus called The Greatest Life of All. And over the next couple of programs, he'll bring this comprehensive 20-part series to a close. In doing so, Chuck invites us to contemplate the last conversations that Jesus held with his followers. His words, his commands, his encouragement ignited a revolution that we experience to this very day. In message number 19, Chuck takes us to the very spot where Jesus delivered his Great Commission. Chuck titled his message, Challenged by Jesus on the Mountain.
1: I want to read for you from two sections of the New Testament. Both have to do with the Great Commission seen through different eyes. The first is at the end of the Gospel by Matthew, Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16, and then if you'll hold your place there and locate the book of Acts, chapter 1, we'll read a section there in the center of that, Acts 1. But first, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore." and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." And over in the book of Acts, chapter 1, let's begin at verse 6. Same setting, seen through different eyes. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth.
0: You're listening to Insight for Living. To dig deeper into the Bible with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures guide by going to insight.org slash studies. Chuck calls today's message, Challenged by Jesus on the Mountain. A legend, a story. Today's message
1: begins with a legend, and it will conclude with a story. As is true of all legends and most stories, the The facts really may not be true, but the lessons that they teach are not only timeless, they are always relevant, especially if the legends and stories have to do with spiritual things. And also, I have found that in every legend and in every story, there's something about them that begins like a picture painted with words And then the picture becomes a mirror that allows us to see ourselves better, which in turn becomes a window through which we are able to see life in a better perspective. So the legend. Travel back with me centuries. Jesus has finished his work on the earth, and he has come back to heaven, but before he is seated at the Father's right hand, he bears the marks of uh, abuse and anguish and the scars of his crucifixion and the suffering that went with that. The angel Gabriel stops him on the way to his seat and says to him, Master, you, you must have suffered a lot. It must have been horrible. The Savior looked deeply into the eyes of the muscular angel and said, "Uh, yes, I did, and yes, it was. The angel continues with his questions. Do do people now realize, do they know how much you love them? Do they understand how forgiven they are and what grace has been provided? What a marvelous plan of hope is now available to them. Do they know what you did for them? Jesus said, well, a handful knows. Uh, A few, Peter, close followers like John and James, and, and a few others, they know and they believe and they now understand. And through them, there will be others who will know and believe. And then through those who believe, there will be still others who will, who will know and believe. And the message will continue to go on. I have left them with this great commission, and they will carry it out. With a sigh, the Lord Jesus sat down at the throne alongside the Father, First time he had been seated for th- over 33 earthly years, his mission accomplished. But Gabriel didn't leave. He continued, I'm troubled with, with another question, if I may. What if? Uh, what if those who hear and believe don't tell what they've heard? What if they don't realize what a great commission it is? What if they, like in the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st century, get involved in other pursuits and, and go in other directions, and for some reason this great commission becomes, a, well, the work of a few professionals. What happens, Lord, if that happens? Do you have another plan? No. Answered Jesus abruptly, there is no other plan. I have no other option but this one. I've spelled it out. I've provided eternal life through my blood, and I have now commissioned those who will take the message to their world, who in turn will take the message to their larger world. That's the only way people will hear. The, les- the legend ends, but the questions continue. Do you remember the one who told you? Almost without exception, that brings a smile to people's faces. That, that mother who pulled us aside and set us on her knee and told us about Jesus, or that coach at school, or the friend who was a part of your fraternity or sorority, or maybe someone at the other desk, after you had finished school and you were underway, and somebody cared enough to realize that people need the Lord, and you're one of them. And now that you've heard, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? You are telling others, aren't you? You now understand it is a great, timeless, consistent commission, don't you? You know. That is what this old life is about, don't you? Well, maybe you're, you're like the skeptic who uh, cornered the late, great Dwight L. Moody, who at times had methods that were a little bit direct, <laughs> to put it mildly. And the skeptic said to Mr. Moody, uh, I, I don't agree with your method of witnessing. Moody very humbly responded, uh, you know, uh, I don't like them much myself. Uh, what method do you use? Uh, The skeptic squirmed and said, well, I I actually am not involved in that. Uh, I don't don't do that sort of thing. To which Moody replied rather tartly, oh, I'll tell you what, I, I like the method I use better than the method you don't use. What method do you use? How do you get the word out now that you have been delivered from hell and the awful consequences of living under the domination of sin? I remember the true story of the lady who uh, visited (laughs) Westminster Abbey, this dignified, magnificent structure that you can't miss when you're in London. And she said, Rather calmly, I wonder when the last time was somebody got saved in here. (laughs) I wonder when the last time was somebody got saved sitting beside you in your car. Or sitting with you at lunch. Or having done a business deal, heard from you how you stopped stealing and started walking in integrity. When was the last time? convicting, isn't it? I understand. But you, you see, uh, my responsibility is not to tell you what you want to hear, but to tell all of us what we need to hear. And, and, and interestingly, all our responsibility is, is to sow the seed. We may not even live to see that seed germinate and blossom and grow. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe the Great Commission isn't that well-known, I, I understand. We toss words around in Christian living that uh, sound as though everybody is clued in, but if I gave you a three-by-five card and asked you to put the Great Commission on, in one sentence on the card, what, what would you write? Could you do that? And I ask it not to mock you, but simply to help you think. If it is that great a commission, and if it has been going on since Jesus left the earth, shouldn't we all be clued in and engaged in what were his last words to his followers? Indeed. So to help clarify, travel back with me to Matthew chapter 28. Let's start here. We've been with Jesus as he has gone through the cross, through the tomb, and now before his disciples— We have walked with friends along the road to Emmaus and listened to Jesus as he encountered them. We have sat with Peter and John beside the sea and listened to him as he he confronted them with the importance of feeding his sheep and remembering the other person's business is the other person's business. You take care of you, and the Lord will take care of the other. And now we come to the mountain, the mountain. Verse 16 Chapter 28, the 11 disciples, Judas has now hanged himself. He's gone. The 11 have now gathered in Galilee to the mountain which Jesus has designated. You who, who love to travel to the Holy Land or have had the joy of doing so uh, will, will know that when you get to Galilee, there really aren't too many mountains to choose from. And when you have tried several of them, as I have, I've sort of kicked dirt up on most of them and thought maybe it was here, maybe it was there. Perhaps there's a footprint. You know how preachers are. There, there might be some way of knowing. We do not know what mountain, but there's something wonderful about that mountain that stands above the Sea of Galilee. And you look down across that expanse of land and you see that little body of water, little from that perspective, and you wonder if it was there. Tucked alongside one of those old craggy rocks, sides of the mountain. Maybe he met there as the wind was howling. Somehow he chose a mountain to give them perspective about the world that was before them. You can go to another part up there and and you can see Megiddo as it stretches out before you knowing that someday Armageddon will be fought there. It's a moving moment on that mountain. But whatever this one was, they gathered together And they heard his last words. Did you hear that? I don't know how you feel about last words, but they usually keep me on the edge of my seat. The last words of my father before he died. The the last words of a friend before he's gone. Priorities come to the surface when one is reaching his last time. Now, Jesus isn't dying, but Jesus is leaving, and they don't know that. The ascension is is about to happen, 40 days since his resurrection, and now he is almost gone, and he pulls them to this mountainside, and he talks to them about what he considered of most importance once he was gone. When I look over the record of three who recorded this event, Matthew and later We read in here of Mark's comments and finally of Luke's in Acts chapter 1. You can sort of put together some observations and it kind of helps you feel what occurred in that uh, moment of time. And from this, I would like to share four observations regarding the Great Commission. Um, If you want to write them down, great. If you don't, that's fine. I think they might help you in the days ahead to keep them clear in your mind if you jot a few thoughts down. First is this. Jesus talked with, talked to very ordinary people who knew Him personally. That's the first thing I observe. These are not strangers. These are close companions. None of them are unbelievers. They're all followers. They're meeting in an undesignated location, though it is designated as a mountain. But the most important part of this is that they were ordinary people. Ordinary people. Matthew 28 tells us, he came up and spoke to them. Mark tells us, he appeared and said. Acts 1.6 says, when they came together. It's all very natural. It isn't like some evangelistic summit. It isn't like some official clergy gathering. Thank goodness. It is just ordinary people. No superstars, no celebrities. In fact, if you look closely at the end of verse 17, you'll see that they didn't all have their act together. Some were still doubting. Some of these men doubted to the very day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God flooded over them and changed their whole perspective. Mark tells us that some were in unbelief. They really disbelieved, and they were were what we would call stressed out. In fact, he uses the word hard hearts. Mark 16, 14, and 15. In fact, Acts 1 tells us that they wanted to know if the kingdom was going to be restored. There's always somebody wanting to know an answer to some question. Isn't it interesting? When Jesus gathers, it's a great thing to be quiet and just listen. So when they gather with him, they start pounding him with questions. Are you going to restore your kingdom? Is it now, Lord? Is it now? And he said, it's not for you to know the epochs or the seasons. It's not for you to know the times. Stop. Stop all the questions. Stop all the, all the nonsensical, sophisticated, and sometimes stupid questions. And listen. He's talking to ordinary people. You wonder what they look like? Look around. Go ahead. I dare you. Look around. Look at that guy sitting ahead of you. Look at that woman. Don't look too long, but just look. <laughs> They're just people. Look at the guy talking to you. Take away this suit of clothes and just garden variety human beings standing there in blue jeans, t-shirts. Just ordinary Folks. What impresses me is that he did a very ordinary thing. No magic wands were handed out. No how-to-do-it big miracle kits. They weren't fitted with halos or collars or crowns. There were no special uniforms. There was no school they had to go to to be prepared to carry it out. None of the above. Just show up. 90% of ministry is just showing up. Just show up. So they're there with their face hanging out, wondering what it is he's going to say to them. So it all starts, and I do this deliberately so that you won't think this is for the clergy. This is for us, men and women. This is for folks like us. Garden variety human beings who qualify as living folks you wonder about that, when you get home, get close to a mirror and go, oh. if it fogs up, it's you. You're in the group. You're one of us. Interestingly, they didn't even have authority. Verse 18 says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So that, Not until the Spirit of God came did they have any semblance of power. They're still wearing the same old robes they wore when they walked with Him. still same dirty sandals. They still have the same bad habits. They're just folks, just like us. Let's start there. The Great Commission is about folks like us. Second, Jesus presented a game plan clearly and simply. Jesus presented a game plan Clearly and simply. Verse 19, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, verse 20, teaching them. Pretty simple, isn't it? That is the objective. I don't know if you like to play table games, but if you've ever bought a table game you've never played before, You lift the lid off the box, and the first thing you do is read the instructions, and interestingly, the first thing mentioned in the instructions is the object of the game, right? This is how you win. This is how you score. If it's chess, you win by taking the king of the other person. You check the king. That's how you win in chess. In Monopoly... You get all the money, and you watch everybody else drain to the point of bankruptcy, and then everybody has fun. I've never quite been able to figure that out, but still a popular game. That's the objective of monopoly. What is the objective of the Great Commission? Look at it. Make disciples. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to be past 40. You don't have to study at Dallas Seminary. That'll help, but you don't have to go there. You you don't have to do any of the above. All you have to do is be alive, ordinary, and make disciples, which will make you very unusual, by the way, if you do that. The main verb, if I may be so pedantic, is make disciples. It isn't go. It isn't baptize. It isn't even teach. All of those verbs are subordinate to the main verb. Jesus looked these men in the eyes and said to them, with scars on his hands and in his feet, and he said, make disciples. Mothetes is the Greek word, and it means learner, learners. So the goal of the Great Commission, get this, is not just winning souls. It is reaching people with the gospel and staying with them as they become learners, growing in the faith. That's why there's teaching. That's why there's baptizing. That's why there's going. Going, baptizing, teaching, make disciples. Clearly, simply. In case you wonder about the scope of this, circle the word all. I've done that in my New Testament. Go back, if you will, to verse 18, all authority. Circle that word all. 19, all the nations. Circle that. 20, teaching them to observe all. Circle that, that I commanded you. He even says, I'm with you always. is the game plan that's not supposed to stop. Every generation, every culture, every geography, every continent, every island, that's on his heart. All of them, even the ones that you wouldn't choose to go to, go there, which as we will see is why he mentions Samaria. Okay? He talked to ordinary people, And he presented a game plan that was clear and simple. Here's a third observation. (laughs) Jesus was intense about the mission, but relaxed about the method. Somebody can hear the gospel from you better than anyone else on this earth. Listen to me when I tell you that. You would be far more effective than I would be because they're your friend, not mine. They're in your sphere of involvement, not mine.
0: This was God's intention from the very beginning, that we would become couriers of the gospel. You're listening to Insight for Living and the Bible teaching of Chuck Swindoll. To learn more about this ministry, visit us online at insightworld.org. Chuck is giving us a glimpse of that grand moment when Jesus commissioned His disciples to spread the Word far and wide in this message he calls, Challenged by Jesus on the Mountain. And this is the biblical moment that has informed our mission here at Insight for Living, and it shaped an initiative called Vision 195. Vision 195 is a movement of God to make disciples of Jesus Christ in all 195 countries of the world. And gratefully, we're watching God honor this pursuit, He's using you and your charitable gifts to advance the mission. As a result of your giving, Chuck's messages are now translated into multiple languages, such as Portuguese, Spanish, and Mandarin, to name a few. The effects of these international efforts are astonishing as God continues to deploy his people to become torchbearers in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. To join us in this ongoing effort to make disciples, we invite you to become a monthly companion. Monthly Companions commit to support Insight for Living with a donation every month. And you can actually automate the relationship by going online to give at insight.org slash Or give a gift when you call us. If you're listening in the United States, call 800-772-8888. That number again is 800-772-8888. In closing, I want to remind you that Chuck's biography on the life and ministry of Jesus concludes in just a couple of programs. Before time runs out, you can purchase the book that Chuck wrote that parallels this study. It's called Jesus, the Greatest Life of All. It's available online at insight.org store or ask for your copy when you call us. If you're listening in the United States, call 800-772-8888. I'm Bill Meyer, inviting you to join us next time when Chuck Swindoll continues to describe the Great Commission of Jesus, right here on Insight for Living. The preceding message, challenged by Jesus on the mountain, was copyrighted in 1999, 2000, and 2008. And the sound recording was copyrighted in 2008 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.